We're back. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a show. This week we are covering Shadow and Bone. And something special about this episode, this is a listener's suggestion. As you know, we were off last week, and man, is this a good one. This is timing out so well. This is in the Netflix top 10, uh, and it's been there for a couple of weeks. This uh, was released April 23rd, and it's still holding strong in the Netflix top 10. Spent the uh, first 12 days of its release at number one. Oh, wow. A listener said... Why aren't you doing this? And we said, why aren't we? And so yeah, here we I are mean, doing it. <laughs> good point. So here we are. Gotcha. <laughs> so send us in, in uh, suggestions. You Seriously, always. I say yeah. it at the end of every episode, but you never know when we'll do something that you're super into. Evan and I were not acquainted with it all, which is why we were not I'm shocked. privy. I'm shocked to learn that this has a massive fan base and it's incredibly <laughs> popular just before the Netflix release. So I, this is a whole world. Um, and I'm really, I'm really excited to see what's what's in this because it's it's definitely stands a little bit different from others like it. So this is another kind of chosen one story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a young person discovers powers and then goes to hone those powers and at some training facility full of the the world's best. And is reluctant, um, and there's an evil darkness taking over the land. Voldemort, exactly. So Sauron, but, whoever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'm excited to see how this one it, it really has some some own feet of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the big thing, the feet of its own, is a Slavic influence, right? Seeing something different from the usual British monarchy, knights, dragons, and elves. It, it's all. It seems to always be British, you know. Yeah. The, the fantasy realm, and you almost like have a, a an instant image of what that is and what that's going to be. So right off of the bat, this doesn't have those influences breathing down your neck. So visually, it's a little bit different from things that are of the same vein. Like you said, massive. Seven books total with some short story collections. The Grishaverse, because Grisha is the name of the small science slash magician power characters. Right. 22 languages it's been translated to in over 50 countries. Oh, man. Huge. Just because this will factor into the show and how it gets fit together. The first book is called Shadow and Bone, came out in 2012, number eight on the New York Times bestsellers list. And then it had a trilogy. The next book came out in 2013 and then the next one in 2014. Just boom, boom, boom. In that Twilight Hunger Games craze. (laughs) Yeah, very shortly after that. Yes. The, then comes a different series set in the same place, but a, two years after with all new characters in a different country in this world mm-hmm. called the Six of Crows duology. Both of those books next year, next year, 2015, 2016. And then there's another duology, which is the sequel to the Shadow and Bone trilogy, which takes place a year after the Six of Crows thing, other characters. And that came out in 2019 and 2021. So that's seven altogether. Oh my God. All of it factors into this. I'll explain and they're going to do them all, baby. Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got the hankering. But uh, we'll start with the author because I'm always fascinated. This is How's, where yeah, exactly. Evan and I come in as as working writers in all fields and capacities in the entertainment world. You know, we're we're, we're doing our deal, know. you know, so that we want to know how how people what decisions they made. What, what, what were the factors at play? And there, as we've uh, uncovered on this show, uh, many Many, many factors come into play, and there are also commonalities, so we're looking out for that kind of thing. <laughs> and I wish we should probably have some sort of like a repeating song or theme for <laughs> when, yeah. like, oh, here's <laughs> another one of those moments. Yeah. Um, Lee Bardugo is her name, Israeli-American young adult author. So all these books are in the young adult 
fantasy right. genre. Uh, she was born in Jerusalem, but grew up in LA. And hmm. her father's side is the Sephardic Jewish group, Moroccan specifically. And then on her mother's side okay. is Ashkenazi Jew, which is Rush. She's Russian and Lithuanian on gotcha. her mother's okay. side. So very interesting influence Starting there. Starting to see some of the, yeah. yeah. Oh, she was raised by her grandparents, though, in LA. And she had said not a lot of kids around, felt really isolated, which also does tie into the, it's almost the trope of this kind of story, but the orphan kid. Right. And then she also has a, I guess, semi-rare bone disease. Oh, really? And so she sometimes has to use a cane. And this is why Kaz in the thieving group of the story is young and has a cane. Oh, fascinating. And this is a part of her life experience. Wow. Um, so books for her are a huge refuge growing up. She said her favorites, Dune, which hopefully we will cover yes. when it comes out. Coming soon. <laughs> the Princess Bride, which we just covered. Yes. And Stephen King, she also loves, which we've which also we covered also. a million times. So, <laughs> so uh, then she attended Yale and graduated in 97 for English. So she knows... She's in this area of life. She's not, mm -hmm. you know, she, yeah, a she's in her wheel hygienist she knows, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. But she's working in kind of what I call in this time shadow careers, sort of copywriting, journalism. She's even writing movie trailers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 You know, not fully on it, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> her father's death occurs. There's sort of this ending of this troubled marriage relationship that she's had. She said it was a very weird rock bottom. Mm. And in a sarcastic way, in an interview, she said, my tombstone will read had potential. Like that's uh, how she uh, felt there. No. So this is when she decides to write Shadow and Bone during her next job where she is a makeup artist part-time. Remember, she's living in LA. And mm. this is kind of the, one of the repeating themes, the sort of, well, screw it <laughs> story. Right. You know? So she picked her 35th birthday as the deadline, which would be five months from then. But of course, it's not like, oh, she wrote the story in five months. Like, no, it took her 35 years yeah. to get this done. Right. That's always the trope is like, oh, right. my God, five months. Like, no, no, no. She hadn't been working on this. No, she had 35 years to pick and, and file away and remember and, you, you know. Yeah, it's, and then have thirty five years of being conscious uh, <laughs> to have know? the attitude to say I've got to get this done in five months or else who am I? Yeah, but in terms of getting this for people to, to read, mm -hmm. she said she got extremely lucky. Kind of reminded me of the Love Simon Love Victor stuff oh, that really? we talked yeah. about. Yeah, because she said at this point everybody wanted dystopian. Divergent had just come out. The Hunger Games had finished up. Yeah, very recently. So she queried some agents getting representation, getting sold with the three-book deal just within 37 days, Wow, Whoa. which is you know, what? exactly like the other one. Like That doesn't happen. Getting all the deals, it's no. coming out. Of course, oh uh, it took 18 months to get the book finally into people's hands with edits right. and blah, blah, blah. But that kind the of- Process. Yeah, yeah. That kind of made me think about the success of the book series without getting into the whole plot and the characters and- Sure. But what's her take on it? And the she had degree. said, yeah. yeah, from a thematic standpoint, a lot of found families in her books. And she said, quote, maybe I'm telling kids to find their tribes. I didn't find mine until college. So that mm. young adult, oh, that would resonate right. with her audience. And then the fan base in the similar 
Love, Simon, Love, Victor stuff, her presence online and Tumblr following, building them. And right. she was like smart. Yeah. yeah. And relating, like a lot of them are aspiring writers, she said. I want them to succeed. I want to be at their signing oh. someday. Aw. And that that's energy. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's amazing. Yeah. Her her energy carries over. I saw a video that she posted on Instagram when they had the filming of the show. And it's a compilation of her hugging everyone on set <laughs> and crying. Like it's so beautiful because right. she is so appreciative of all this and like seeing it. Realized. Yeah, I watched one interview with her, and she she mentioned another time just like being on set and tearing up, and so I got mm-hmm. that sense immediately. <laughs> yeah, she's not uh, you know having that. the yeah. hubris. Yeah, just like grateful, just like in in awe that it's happening. Like that's, yeah, that's amazing. And seeing it realized, not like that's not what I would have put them in. Wrong, right, color for that <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that that we'll, we'll get to that when it comes to the film creation and how she works <laughs> with people. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just bare bones, the writing pro- shadow and bone, the writing process <laughs> of it all. <laughs> like I said, what Evan and I do, what we're interested in. Right. How did she do it? <laughs> how did she write? You know, like we talk about that with J.K. Rowling. Like, good God. Right. <laughs> like she didn't stop. God, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16. <laughs> like up to now, she's writing books like Wildfire. Yeah. And so I saw an interview, she was saying like, she wanted to be a writer from the time she was a kid. And like we said, didn't complete the first novel until she was 35. But she said the big thing was she would always give up after the first act or not really know anything about story structure or having Mm -hmm. a writing process for yourself. And this is the thing I struggle with. Every writer struggles with. Same. I'm sitting here going like, I know I'm right there with you, girl. (laughs) (laughs) And she said a big thing is banishing ideas from what media shows you it is like a montage and you're crumpling papers and then it comes out the typewriter and you're done and you're a genius Mm -hmm. she was like the idea of revision is nowhere in media right being a writer is the process of living in discomfort of what's in your head right versus what you're actually she said what you're actually putting down like it's you don't feel like a genius right sometimes (laughs) you just got to get through a scene and you know you're going to be returning to it but you have to get to the next one you know (laughs) so i i definitely appreciated it's all the platitudes of, well, you got to have a process, but you don't really understand it until you're yeah. actually doing it. And that is yeah. the job. That is the hard part. So I appreciate that she's like, well, that's what I needed to learn as yeah. well. So here comes, there's this duology, uh, Six of Crows, that fits in the middle. Right. And like I said, it doesn't tie into the same characters. It's a couple years after. It's the same world, but a completely different country. I always re- have appreciate. I know it's like jarring. I didn't like it as a child uh, when I would consume media that w- like a sequel to something that wouldn't pick up where I thought, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. but as now studying story, being a writer of my own now, when I come across these things and I see a follow up that just like puts their pin in the map at some wild place and time <laughs> that you would. I'm, I'm now as a writer, I go, oh, there's a reason there's a good mm-hmm. reason they chose instead of just pick it up the same moment that's when there wasn't anything else to go well, okay pick it up where are we <laughs> yeah. right back in it no when they've when they've just picked out a pin somewhere in a place and time that you just like what so that character is like not he's like he's dead yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> like, is years uh, later yeah like Korra and avatar it's just it's a it, mm-hmm. there's usually a reason there's a there's a there's a specific reason and that right immediately has my ears going like oh they're really thinking about this <laughs> yeah. not just like i need more of this character like a drug yeah and she was saying that comes down to the process too again mad respect because she was saying for a writer quote we create challenges we need to be excited not repeat what we've done 
Right. So that was a big part of this. Six of Crows, the duology, this two-part series that has completely different characters, is a heist caper. It's not the lone chosen yeah. one story. It's yeah. it's completely different. She was like, I'd never written anything like that before. Never had multiple points of view. There's six main characters. It's a lot. Flashbacks. It's, you know, they are all- set. I mean, immediately. <laughs> I, I had on four episodes today, and in the first ten minutes, they're they, man, they're ready for prequels. They're ready for a, a whole other series. <laughs> yeah. In addition to, they have. It's thick. But that comes with her being like, okay, that was a story. This is a completely different story of a type and scope and breadth that I've never touched before. So that's also part of the writing process. That cognizance, that, uh, that you know, just being able to put the wall like, oh, that is something different. That is, yeah. oh, you know, being able to put those walls up wherever they are just to give yourself context where you're mm-hmm. going. I, I respect that so much. Me too. Yeah. So she's off on it now. Of course, <laughs> Hollywood, prying eyes on the literary scene, ka-ching, swoops ka-ching. in. Uh, David Heyman of Harry Potter episode, no. <laughs> which we, which we <laughs> fame, swooping in in 2012, bought the rights, says, oh, this is my next young adult film series, epic, everything. Had a screenwriter attached, he was going ready. through the, oh, man. the producerial motions, but didn't uh, go through. Uh. And so you think, God, a book with millions and millions of copies sold trilogies, duologies, adding mm-hmm. to it, what's become of this? And it ends up, obviously, this year being made by this guy, the showrunner, now a TV show, Eric Heiserer. And it almost didn't happen for him. And I love the way that it did. Yeah. So this is Eric's story of how he ends up making the show. When does he come into the picture? So four and a half years ago, Arrival is getting great reviews. It was the Amy Adams alien first contact thing. Daniel knew, yeah. Yeah. He wrote that, adapted from a short story, was doing super well. He's written a bunch of other screenplays as well, but this is is the time and place. He also had finished an adaptation of Bird Box, which- Right, yes. Yeah, which was about to get picked up by Netflix. And so that, (laughs) obviously, we know did super well. Uh, (laughs) But he has a personal problem which is every book or story he's reading now, it's in how can I adapt this mode? Um. And it's not fun at all (laughs) to consume any literary media. He's burnt out on the reconfiguration. Yeah, but he's great. I mean, he's really good at it. Right. No, no, Uh, of course. But you go, you're in that mode for so long. And, you know, every once in a while you want to explore different gear. I can understand, man. That makes so much sense uh, to to feel like you're you're playing with all these things like puzzle pieces, but they're not yours. And at some point you've done all this with all these (laughs) things. You you know, you've done you've you've rebuilt it Uh, and people uh, and, and you're good at it. Mm-hmm. But they're not, they, you know, they're not, it's a, you know, it feels <laughs> not yours in a way. So I can yeah. understand that, well, hmm, can I really dig into something that is, that I have a little bit more ownership on? Can I get these creative muscles that I haven't been, been, you yeah. know, afforded to use? Can I get them working a little bit better? I, I, that's, I can really, I can really see yeah. that. <laughs> well, it's even in his case, less of the doing something of his own ownership, but more just this whole side of my life, the pleasurable, I'm going to sit down and read a good book. My mind is thinking, 
how can I turn this into a movie? What would the movie version? <laughs> yeah, be? and he's Lord. like, and I could, and he's like, I just want to get turn it, so it makes, off. <laughs> yeah, so he makes a <laughs> pact with himself. I'm going to get back to reading for pleasure, for the enjoyment, not even thinking about yeah. any of this nonsense. So, on friends' advice, you couldn't book- make me make this into a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is his mindset. On a friend's advice, they say, "Well, why don't you pick up this book, Six of Crows, that just came out that I liked." He trusts that you won't make it into a movie. <laughs> well, he didn't say that. He said, I'm not going to do it. So <laughs> he reads Six of Crows. Now, bearing in mind, like I said, all the, the trilogy starting with Shadow and Bone has already come out. Six of Crows is the alternate other thing, heist one. He loves it, devours it. Another part of his resolution, which I think is great, is that he decided, oh, I'm going to acknowledge other creators whose work excites me, which is always nice mm, to yeah. be grateful and just show some love to be it's like gratitude yeah yeah you can yeah, run yeah. much farther on on compliments when you're making something so he tweets mentioning lee bardugo saying hey love the book thanks forgets about it then he continues to read all the books in the series this is his pleasure reading not again not even thinking about adapting tweets back would never make it into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh over a year later Somebody from Netflix calls him and they say, Eric, we know you like the Grishaverse books. And he's like, how in the world? Who told you? Yeah. Yeah. This seems, seems like very- I told uh, no one. Yeah. Hey, Eric, we know you like this. Except for all uh, of Twitter. Yeah. So what had happened was the rights had reverted back to Bardugo out of David Heyman's hand because he didn't do anything with it. So- <laughs> She's shopping it around, and she said to Netflix, oh, this guy Eric is a fan. He tweeted at me once that he liked it. Now he's nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, Lord. For this thing, should we call him? And oh, so, Lord. But what I think is beautiful about this is it's amazing that his resolve to just read for his own enjoyment and uplift other creators brought him a job. He fell right back into it. Yeah. <laughs> He can't help himself. I love it. No, well, he's just he's, being a good person. You know? I love it. No, it's 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 the way it should be. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 good natured and wholesome. Yeah, finally, I need a little good, <laughs> just a little sunshine this week. Thank you. Just you like yeah. just nice things. But here's his caveat to it all. He said, "I'm not going to touch it unless I also have six of crows. All those characters, the heist characters, all that stuff. That was his gateway drug to it. After all, that's what got him interested because he started <laughs> yeah, in the okay. middle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That make and that makes sense now because that's the biggest thing that I've heard is that the like the the dark villain character that they've that they set up immediately is not even part of the, right. the original <laughs> book, and they plucked that out of the side story that came later, which is the one that he." Which is the one that he was all about, yeah, right? So yeah. that's why they're well. We got to get them in on this one. <laughs> then they find a good way. They find a good way to do it, and the appropriate judging of the characters to get yeah. that inciting incident to get them intrinsically involved off the bat. Yeah, um, really, so, really, really good stuff, and not being too, uh, you know, precious with the source material, just enough mm-hmm. to where you can make some new doors for yourself. I really, it was really, really good, really good stuff there in terms of reappropriating and just enough, just enough yeah. reconfiguration. And that's what he's most into. Netflix, though, said, well, we don't have those rights. And he said, okay, best of luck, and doesn't accept it because he had a show in the works at AMC. He's like, well, I don't need, you know, whatever. But then his show that he was working with at AMC fell through, and he was like, why did I have so much swagger? How could I do this to myself? (laughs) I'm an idiot. How did I turn them down? I'd say, 
Yeah. I shouldn't have uh, thrown those papers. <laughs> I shouldn't have I need swore. I get this tire marks off of the concrete. <laughs> uh, luckily, Netflix got the rights to them all, and then he signed on, boom, boom, boom. Here we are. But like you said, how do you have something where it's this massive universe, all these characters, all these different magic powers? How are you going to get these two people to, you know, you got the inceptor of it. <laughs> now yeah, you have yeah. the new arbiter of it. How will these two people ever agree? How does it ever happen? A totally different medium. Lee was an executive producer, obviously not the only voice in the room on that front. Didn't butt heads with Eric because they had lots of conversations early on about what mattered. And what's mm -hmm. great about talking about adaptation with authors, she was saying, how could they do right by the Mal character? Because she thought as an author, she had not. Because like we said, the story is the chosen one thing, but she hoped it would be more about the grunts as well as those with destinies uh, from up yeah. on high, which is a different author attitude towards adaptations because the author is usually like, oh, they got it wrong or they couldn't fit all what I wanted in there. Right. You know. Wrong color for that character. Yeah. Yeah. She wanted to correct <laughs> what was in the books. She had said in an interview, I, she said, I felt that Siege and Storm book two had a soft middle and here's a chance to get rid of it. And so <laughs> yeah. she's like, no, good idea. Maybe <laughs> yeah. if I could uh, second draft this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here's the, this is the, this is the humility. She said, quote, I hope I became a better writer as I've worked. My first book was written 10 years ago. I don't see why you wouldn't apply growing in terms of craft when you have the opportunity. And I found that right. in the reviews of the her. books and in what people say about it, most people say her books get better with this trilogy. And then even a lot of people say start with Six of Crows, the heist series, and then go back right. and read the other ones because you'll have an affinity for the world. But you, it may not be I as just, good. I mean, I appreciate just her. She's a, yeah. She seems like a, a collaborator. Uh, mm -hmm. She seems like she can compartmentalize appropriately. And she is she likes to see an idea improved. Uh, and she, you know, I, I really, really love this about her. I, I, I love hearing, I love hearing her speak. I love like reading what she, interviews with her so far. Like she, she mm -hmm. just has this amazing tone. Yeah, uh, to, yeah, to exactly. be that open, be that secure about not being the best. I, I, I don't think you could overstate the importance of it. Fabulous, and the fans that I mean, obviously, there's a lot of. Criticism, if you, you know, God, seven book series, grew up with it, et cetera. Surely there are people that are like, this is trash. But on yeah, the whole. Yeah, I, I want to talk yeah. to the people who can't stand the show. They, they just got it like the the, the, the book snobbists. Like, yeah. They just don't get. <laughs> but it's also hard to keep that attitude when the author themselves is like, oh, no, the middle of the second book. Right. Slow. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> yeah, it would be really hardy to be like to be snooty about this when the when the author is like so humble and being like, actually I didn't like that part either. <laughs> yeah. I would have done this character different. I would have given him more service while they're doing it in the <laughs> film. So one of the changes that I think is the most interesting is what Eric added to it, putting the two series together, because it's not a page by page adaptation of the books. Mm -hmm. Because like we said, the plot device for the Six of Crows squad is all different. Because right. they do not interconnect at all. It's set years after. Right. So this integrating them into the Shadow and Bone story is almost like a prequel of their story. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, the, I think the, that's the really challenge and the thing there, the heist, the thing they're trying to steal is her, which was something that Eric brought to it as a crazy. He said it was the longest pause in a phone call. It's like, well, this was either a great idea to pitch 
or horrible <laughs> as, to, as to how to put this thing Either together. Either she's really thinking about this or she's so <laughs> horrified I've lost my job. Dared to suggest such a thing. <laughs> but it works. And also because the Shadow and Bone books are all Alina's first person perspective and the Crows series is third person from all the different characters. So inserting that, it even mirrors the books in a way where the Crows sections is all the parts that she's not witnessing in the film gives you the other parts of the world and who's lurking around and what's going on right. where she is not. So that I thought was cool. And then right. the other big change is Alina's race is never specified in the book, but it's all based on a white default character. Okay. And Lee was saying her life has never been entirely white or straight and why she decided to write the novel, her first novel that way, she feels like was sort of unconsciously echoing the fantasy title she'd grown up with. There you go. What she knows. So Eric- Just picking up what's in the zeitgeist and that's yeah. what you put down. It's like, whoa, that's evident of what is considered the norm in that space. It yeah. just happened. <laughs> so Eric and her, when they sat down to talk about- She's an series, Israeli-American writer and yeah, look, she has yeah. a white main character for almost no reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they both said together, they're like, okay, in what there. can this series be? Well, we can do better than this. What would it mean? Because she's from, it's the same thing. She's from a border town in the books, right. which is the fantasy version of- China or an East Asian country, how would that impact her life? Mm -hmm. Borders are not, in some places, a massive wall blocking everything. It's like there's trade in between. It would make sense yeah. that she would be mixed race. And then how would that impact her life as being the hero of this country that maybe doesn't even accept her all the way? Like all of that stuff fits into the character. Yeah. And it isn't just, oh, we need diversity. So let's throw something in there. They tried to say, well, how can we, like I said, how can we do this right. <laughs> better? What would she have done differently if she hadn't written this 10 years ago? The big driver, as we mentioned at the top, that mixes things up is this Slavic high fantasy, Russian fantasy. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't really about, hardly point to anything to compare to it, honestly. I mean, looking right. at it, I'm like this just generally, I'm like, it feels like a live action la avatar or something more along the lines of right. what that would be, really. I think that's where it stands. Uh, it's best right. in terms of its technicals. It's, I mean, its production design is beautiful. Their sets are are incredible. Their effects are all right. Uh, <laughs> the the wardrobes yeah. are, are are I think some of the focus. I mean, honestly, the thing that I notice most when I look at uh, frames from other episodes are the wardrobes in this thing. So, it, and all of that evokes the culture. Um, and so when you when you're seeing all that evoked through the wardrobe and the sets and everything that surrounds this thing, you start to get this sense that oh, I, have, I haven't really seen anything that kind of feels like this on this scale. I've, I feel like I've more yeah. seen cartoons, maybe, or some, you know, so, yeah. something else. And then the second yeah. question is why? <laughs> right, right. And so yeah. why? Yeah. So why is this the only one based on some sort of Russian mm -hmm. history when all of the others are based around an English history? That, that's yeah. and that's where it ends up standing apart. It's. Uh, yeah, why? <laughs> so, and truly, our dear listener who messaged us also pitched it in that way. They said, hey, here's this thing. You missed it. I love it. It's this fantasy story, but it is based on Russian Slavic mythology, history, culture, etc. So here's why is this novel so novel to us, meaning <laughs> English-speaking U.S. audience or otherwise? Right. And I found an article, which I'll link to, from a Slavic scholar and they were specifically talking about foreign authors interested in Slavic heritage stories and a couple of the advantages to releasing in this way versus Slavic people 
specifically fantasy as well, foreign authors, A, write in English so it can be more easily distributed, or if it was written in its original language, it's very difficult to translate because not only are the Slavic languages, Russian, Ukrainian, et cetera, right. they're also Uralian languages, Hungarian, Romanian, Estonian, like it is a whole different yeah. situation. So writing it in English disperses it better. And then also- The language economy. Right, right. <laughs> B, those foreign authors don't have the baggage of competing nationalisms, animosities, marginalization. Like they can't be biased in favoring one nation or the other, or somebody being labeling them as a Serbian nationalist. It's like, I don't even understand Good any Lord. of that. Yeah. So the author of this article says that most of these authors interpret the culture in intriguing, funny, flattering, or very inaccurate ways. And most people do the hodgepodge approach. Because they'd have to be so historically and linguistically researched to say, I'm going to talk about and I'm going to base this on Hungary in the 1890s, you know, like. Right, right, right. right. That that most foreign authors go the you other way. So in the weeds there, well, how do you ever justify magic? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let alone get everything culturally and historically right. relevant <laughs> or, or accurate or true. Yeah. So are we talking about the effects of the culture and the social economy here or <laughs> – or is this about so uh, like a, a hero's journey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where Lee, I, fa- I found an article where she was saying she knows some of these things and she could have brought in a Russian translator to go through some of this stuff. But she was even saying using just total Russian for all the place names and everything would not have felt true. And she's also covering her bases, but in a way also like getting to the point of the thing is that it's high fantasy. It's not historical or alternate history. It is supposed to be a melding of all of these things. Mm-hmm. But it is funny if you are from there. So I found in this article, this person, which I, I, I didn't realize, but it's hilarious, and I'm sure you'll love this. In this Grisha versus Grisha trilogy, yeah. most Slavic speakers find the toponym or place name and naming conventions that she uses very odd. <laughs> and to somebody who doesn't know, it doesn't influence the plot in any way. Right. But if you do know, it is just kind of weird. So the main character, Alina Starkov, should be Alina Starkova. Because the surnames in Russian are different depending on the gender, right. male, female. So based, a lot of the surnames are wrong for the characters. <laughs> so it comes across as comedic because it's like, oh, she's a man or the man villain is a woman because it's it's the the way that she gives the last oh names gosh, is not yeah. correct in the Slavic, you know. Yeah. So she's just pulling because maybe she thought Starkov sounded better than Starkova. But it, right. it, if you knew that, you'd be like, this is weird. Right. Or just comedic in a way. Yeah. And the big one that you'll love the whole the whole magic thing grisha lee was saying so it's the short form of the name grigory which means watchful which is why she used it okay. but the sha suffix like grisha is a short form for russian names hence natasha for natalia misha wow. for michael so grisha is short for grigory so it's basically all the magicians are called greg which is the <laughs> short form Grisha is the short form of Grigori, so it's like they're all called Greg, which is just bizarre. <laughs> this is if, if you have, if you're English speaking, or if you're not English speaking, it's just strange. It's like, and then somebody said it's like calling the magicians Tim because Timothy means honor. It's like it doesn't matter what the name means; it's still just a person's name. Oh my god! So just funny stuff like that that appears throughout in terms of merging the cultures and not really, you know, assigning it to a particular thing. That's actually hilarious. That would be, if you were in on it, if you knew, 
it'd be Russian. hilarious. Yeah, they're just like, why? Why are all the magicians called Greg? <laughs> it's not <laughs> epic at all. Yeah. Um, but you were talking about I, you haven't seen this in anything else. Other, I was trying to th- name yeah. other Slavic influence to you know at least on on the yeah. on the surface aesthetic stuff that I, and I can't hardly just off the top of my off of my head. Well, you'll know you'll yeah you'll know this one immediately. Mm. Uh, came out also on Netflix, The Witcher. Yeah, that fantasy yes, thing with yes. Henry. So that is based. I did suggest that yeah. at one point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is based on a Polish book series. Six fantasy novels, fifteen short stories. The video game series sold fifty million copies. Yes. That is from a Polish author, but it draws on Slavic, Celtic, Germanic mythology. Lots of the monsters are from Slavic folklore. Right. And then in the book, Vedmak is the term for a male witch, and it's used as a derogatory term in the Witcher books. Okay. So it has a lot of that, but it is an amalgamation, again, of all of it. Interesting. Uh, And then the last thing that I found, in spite of, as mentioned, the language and cultural barrier, there's also sort of a historical precedent for you saying, oh, why haven't we seen this? And a big piece of it is the relationship to fantasy fiction and the Soviet Union. Yeah. So at the time of the Soviet Union's reign, primarily children's tales and stage plays or adaptations of foreign tales Mm -hmm. are what fantasy fiction is. There was an adaptation of Pinocchio and The Wizard of Oz was called The Wizard of Emerald City, but literature dealing with supernatural horror, adult-oriented fantasy was not welcomed at all by censors because of Soviet censorship up until the 1980s, not really very many books written or published because of the state-run publishing houses blocking various things. I see. You know, such stories, and it's all up to interpretation. It might be critical of the Soviet system, allegorically critical of the Soviet system, not patriotic enough, you know, doesn't portray religion in the way that they want it to. So, and this is my unfounded research, so not sure if this is entirely true, but I had found there's more science fiction. But it is that true that through. we found it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this particular thing that there's more science fiction that is used, like the, the first use of the word robot is from a 1920 Soviet Union. Oh man, that's cool. Era play. Yeah. But fantasy, mythology, folklore, not so much. And we'd even mentioned in our Animal Farm episode from mm-hmm. eons ago, mm-hmm. there was a 1922 book called Revolt about animals taking over a farm, which was, yes. again, a metaphor, but then it was banned until 80, 1989. Right. So that was an example of one. There was one main book that did come out at this time called The Master and the Margarita, which <laughs> I don't know what that necessarily yes. means. But it was written between 1928 and 1940 during Stalin's Regime. It has supernatural elements, dark comedy, religious in- inclinations. There was a censored version that they did publish in Moscow, but then there was a secret underground version that actually had everything in it that was smuggled Ooh. out and pu- and published in '69. That pulpy version. <laughs> Give me that <laughs> real pulpy <deal>. version. <laughs> and I never knew anything about this thing, but it has influenced so many things: films, TV, radio, really? theater, comics, ballet, music, all sorts oh, of. Artists say, hey, check this thing out. And Baz Luhrmann got the rights to it in 2019. Oh, man. So who knows if it'll become something here. But well, I think it sounds that's perfect also, for him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking about where this thing came from then. So there's a new wave 
in the 1990s, Soviet Union gone for fantasy books discovering high fantasy, hard, you know, almost no gothic fantasy had even been written. Right. Post-apocalyptic fiction also becomes huge, which gets turned into video games. So there's the Stalker series and then Metro 2033 are huge video games. I did not know that. All based on, yeah, they're all based on Slavic books. So this is kind of where it's like, oh, Lee Bardugo has her finger on the pulse, pulls this through, and shortly before it's just getting a resurgence in the native countries from whence the mythology and history and culture and all of these things can be presented in a high fantasy way or in a post-apocalyptic gothic way as well. So that's the history of it all from what I could tell. Well, it's interesting. I mean, as kind of... I didn't expect there to be some like clear cut answers as to why it <laughs> well, yeah. didn't percolate and I don't know into if that's the zeitgeist true. culturally. But it, I mean, it's all it's I mean, I mean, for to not be clear cut true. I mean, it sounds like the correlation. It's a lot of a lot of factors running. But like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. If there were sensors in place to where this wasn't part of child rearing in the Slavic culture for decades and decades and decades, then the stuff just wouldn't exist because there's no market for it. Mm-hmm. There's nobody's yeah. making it because nobody's there to buy it because that's not what you do because we don't show that to to kids and time changes here we are in the new deck, but yeah. So it's really interesting. I really I, I that I did not expect for there to be no official answer to find something that's like oh well one to one that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the connection between okay, well here's foreign authors almost finding a more neutral way to approach it because of their ignorance and their lack of competing nationalism, language, all of that stuff. Does it do it justice as a culture? Instinctually, probably not because it's such a hodgepodge and every, the magicians are called Greg, but you know, (laughs) it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's not for lack of trying. Yeah. And that's part of the fantasy thing is it's not, it's, it's designed to be, magical and, and unrealistic. I would hope if you were, you know, into it, you're Slavic, you're da- you know what's going on, and Greg, all, they're all called Greg, ha ha. I hope that that wouldn't <laughs> just completely disqualify it from you, like, for, of, of all merit. Yeah, I, I would hope that maybe you, you saw, you would get there and be like, oh, that's hilarious. But I would hope that the second thought would be like, well, you know, they're trying and there's not a lot of stuff that does this. So I'm just glad that it's getting, you know, I don't know. But that's mm-hmm. the, there's something there. I just. Yeah. <sighs> and I'll post a link to the Slavic scholar article that I read because they have, here's ones that are foreign, you know, written. And then here's ones that have been translated, but are originally mm-hmm. from this area of the world. So there is a a bountiful group of literature that does now confront fantasy genres in this in this sphere so but yeah it'll be interesting to see where this goes they are already priming for this to be the next game of thrones harry potter oh yeah they're doubling down they are they're betting on this as much as they're betting on anything and and it's like out of nowhere it's crazy uh i don't know why under you know thematically you know genre wise it's not similar but i keep thinking of bridgerton um Mm -hmm. that's just got this amazing following that's that's blooming out of nowhere and there's going to be so many so so much that comes out of this um so i mean who knows this this could be this could definitely have some staying power and be around for a while uh, on a personal note it's not exactly like my favorite thing in the world but i i it's so interesting to see something so different 
in in terms when you're talking about things the, like these archetypes of the the chosen one and go you know the training of these abilities and those types of things so it was really interesting to see some of these these tropes flipped on their heads um, and to see some new fl you know fresh cultural influences on especially production design yeah. I, I really really am glad to see it up there man so thank you dear listeners and specific listener for suggesting Thank this you for to your us. suggestion. We had a, a wonderful time getting into it. Uh, so please uh, let us know what you're into. Get in touch with us. Please let us know at illiterate pod on Instagram. We might just do it. Uh, and today is definitely some proof of that. So thank you so much for listening. We can't wait to talk at you next week. We'll catch you then. <laughs>